Welcome back, everybody. In the last uh, 10 years, uh, our next guest has pretty much lived out every kid's fantasy and my own fantasies uh, in terms of uh, being in movies. He's been a stormtrooper on Star Wars. Uh, he's been a knight on King Arthur. He's been a soldier on Mission Impossible. I mean, welcome to the show, Jamie Chambers. Hi, Alan. It's a pleasure to be here. It's, uh, it's my pleasure as well. And, um, you know, Jamie and I met uh, via social media. Uh, Jamie's um, been, uh, you know, great in following our account and, uh, and uh, commenting and liking. And that's how I got to know uh, Jamie because, again, I'm, you know, uh, uh, he's across the pond. He's in UK. Um, so there, there's some crossover. And then I started looking at the, at the things that you have done and started listening to how you speak on mental, uh, on mental uh, health uh, issues and how, um, how inspirational you are because, you know, listening to your interviews, I'm thinking, crap, I'm watching way too much TV and I'm doing, uh, you know, I'm not doing as much as I should be doing. And just uh, <laughs> kind of getting that jolt of, uh, of energy from listening to you. I'm like, I, I really need to have Jamie on the show. So I'm, I'm very happy that you're here. I'm buzzed to be here. Yeah. And uh, I mean, listen, you know, talking about living the dream, uh, we, we haven't even mentioned, uh, you know, working with Arnold, uh, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen, Tom Hardy, Brad Pitt, you know, among other guys. I, this, this conversation can really take us for a long, long time. So I don't know how, what you have allotted for this, but uh, this, this may take a little while. <laughs> awesome. Sounds fantastic. Awesome. All right. So let's, um, let's start at the beginning because, you know, from what I understand, acting was not your first career. You know, it certainly uh, was your first draw, but it wasn't your first career. So bring people up to date. Yeah, not, not even my second, actually. Uh, so um, films in general have always been a, a huge part of my upbringing. It's been a big part of, like, my um, access to culture, as it were. Um, it's, it's always been, you know, sit down with mum and dad uh, when you're sort of five, six years old, you start watching films. Um, it was the, the draw of action films that sort of really sort of stuck with me. Um, Arnold was a, a big influence, Stallone as well. Um, so for me, there was always that ingrained thing of wanting to do something to do with entertainment and wanting to do something that involved either um, the action element or, you know, the, the, the more uh, energetic side of things. Um, as it as life sort of goes on um a lot of things changed um i was very active in sport so that kind of those two parallels don't really cross very often um not until you get to the end of one and then you start the other but um yeah so it, it's always been something that is very close to me um but it definitely wasn't the first or even the second um career uh i was in football for a very long time um and then i don't deal with regret very well or at all um i'm not a fan so um i'd rather know and it be a complete disaster I'd, I'd rather try it jump in and it go absolutely tits up wrong but at least you know i know um or you know the the flip side of it i jump in and it goes well um so that was that was the process 10 years ago um jump in and find out yeah, and you did, and uh, I, I have a lot of respect for you for uh, for doing that because there are many people out there that are dreaming of something, and there are a few people who actually decide and go ahead and do it. And it's not like it was really easy for you, right? You jumped in, you did get your first gig uh, fairly uh, quickly, but it took you about three years 
to appear on these, uh, you know, one of these large productions. During that, uh, that uh, period of time, uh, I don't know if you had, you know, side hustle and other gigs that you were doing, but did at any point uh, something start creeping in saying, maybe this is not going to work out? So um, I was told very, I mean, I lucked out massively in terms of the fact that um, I, I quit my job um, in December, <laughs> in December 2010 and made a free profile on a website. And yeah, it's testament to how in bad shape I must have been because I got a role as a drug addict literally first week of January. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it was it was a, a very steady process and the thing i got told was to be an overnight success it's going to take you 10 years um and i, I completely agree with that I, I think there is no way you can jump from one career or one industry to another and know everything or the subtle intricacies that go with being in one industry and another um the way you talk to some people in entertainment can't transfer across and vice versa the way you talk to people in sport or the way you talk to people in public relations it doesn't always ebb and flow um so it was a lot of learning it was a lot of um uh a lot of humble pie um you know um a, a lot of the time it's i have as as a rule um i never want to be the smartest man in the room ever right um i, I got i got told very early on you should never be the smartest, richest, or most interesting person in the room. If you are, you're in the wrong room. Mm -hmm. So for me, um, I, I knuckled down, started learning, uh, picked up a lot of books, and went to a lot of classes. Um, it, and that, that, that for me was the graft and the hustle um, on a professional level, because if you want to be treated as a professional, you've got to act like a professional. Absolutely. Uh, so no regrets during that uh, three-year span, and I know you said you don't deal well with regrets, but uh, kept on staying positive, no uh, no negative negativity creeping in during that time. The best way to explain it is, especially with the, the entertainment industry as a whole, um, it's the best worst mistake I ever made. So um, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, there, there is no guideline to it um because yeah. i've looked at um method acting meisner stanislavski um you name the method or you name the technique i've looked at it i've read it i've gone over it i've sat in a class or spoken to someone who is a bona fide expert on it and no one goes do this then do this then do this and then you'll get here it doesn't doesn't work like that at all. I mean, you could do all those things and end up back further than when you started. So, um, yeah, from that perspective, it wasn't regret, but it was like, right, well, if this is going to be worthwhile, you're going to have to work for it. And the one thing that people always ask me is, um, um, what, what's it like? And I was like, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. But if you don't have a love for it, you'll never do it. And if if you don't jump off, if you don't jump in, and if if it's not 100% of what you're doing, if like like you say, if you if you've got side hustles going on or you're still stuck in a main job, um, it's that it's that old Los Angeles joke. Oh, you're an actor in what restaurant? Yeah. And it, you know. So from that perspective, it was a case of no, I've got to go all in. And if I don't go all in, I'm going to be tethered to something else. And if I'm tethered to something, I'm always going to be pulled back. So yeah, no no regrets in that 
um, it was a case of if I want it, I've got to go do it. Right. Um, but then uh, again, and uh, I don't need the details, but uh, people who are watching this are going to say, well, that's great. But because you didn't have, you know, big projects uh, right away, you couldn't have uh, had, uh, you know, e enough money where it was supporting you just from the acting. So you had to do something else as you were learning, as you were growing. So were you, uh, you know, doing other work in the meantime? So um, I, I have a, uh, I have a degree from Bruno University um, because I, I was a, I was a big advocate that you must have an education regardless of what that education is and regardless of how you get it. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's an MVQ, a BSc, MSc, PhD, it doesn't matter, but have a grounding in education first, because that will be your bread and butter. That's the thing that gives you a foundation for being a professional individual, being a role model, being um, everyone's right to education, you know? So from that perspective, I had earned enough money to jump in and but in saying that and i don't view that as a luxury i made sure that i was hustling for work the whole time so i got myself on sets and um i i've done stuff as a first ad um i've done stuff where um i was shadowing producers and i was picking up bits here and there and the idea was is that you do that to push yourself forwards. You're not gonna jump, um, for every Dwayne Johnson that goes from elite to elite, you've got a million people that have to start here and then they don't go straight up, they have to go across. So I knew it was gonna be hard graft and I, I knew that even if I had to fall back on money that I'd earned from working for the last 12 years, mm -hmm. then fine, no issue. Um, I mean, I've never had a normal job <laughs> is one way to put it. Um, I, I, I thought it was very important to give back. So I've always done that. So from when I was 12 years old, I went back to my old primary school and I was teaching kids to read. Um, I, um, I, I, I did a lot of stuff where it was a lot of community orientated give back because if, if you can be that positive influence on someone who probably didn't have your, I don't come from luxury, but at the same time, I have been lucky in the fact that I've had a very supportive family. Um, my parents made sure that I knew enough about the world and I, I had enough access to enough things that I can make my own choices. So my mindset was go back and give back. If these kids don't have parents that can teach them to read, if these kids don't have those things, go back and help. I've got time, why not? Um, so yeah, from that perspective, it was a case of it's going to be hard. And if I've earned enough to sit on for the moment and I'm not overindulgent, I'm very humble when it comes to those sort of things. I, I don't need Gucci and things like that. So, you know, um, from that perspective, I, I was happy to live a humble existence. Um, big influence for me is Keanu Reeves from that respect. You know, um, I don't need mansions. I certainly don't need you know big sports cars and stuff like that. Um, so that's something that has been a guiding thing throughout is I'm not going into this because I want X, Y, Z amount of money or X, Y, Z amount of fame. It was because I know what I want to do and I want to perform. So it didn't matter how I got there. It was the fact that, I was moving towards it and pushing towards it. Yeah. 
No, that makes a lot of sense. And thank you for clarifying that because again, um, you know, some actors think that I'm an actor <clears throat> and I'm only an actor. So I'm going to work my, you know, part-time job and a hustle job in order to support my acting endeavor while it continues growing, hopefully, which is, a, you know, who knows uh, in, a, in our acting world. Uh, but you did uh, something else. You know, you had some, uh, uh, you know, foundation uh, from your previous job, but then you said, I'm an actor, but I'm also going to be doing other things just within the industry. So you did uh, AD, you did, uh, you know, stunts, you did some other stuff. So you continued working and, uh, you know, moving ahead, uh, you know, 10 years later, you're doing producing, you're doing a lot of these things, you continue to give back. So I think that's a really good, uh, um, it's a really good thing for people to hear that just because you're an actor does not mean that you can't go uh, kind of across uh, the industry and do jobs within that because A, it'll help you make contacts, B, it'll you know get you some money in the process, C, it'll help you learn uh, and understand the industry better so you can be more successful. So I think all of that is a really, really good lesson. Thank you. Yeah, the, the, the entertainment industry as a whole has so many subtle intricacies mm -hmm. from the fact that it's not just about being the talent on the screen. It's, it's not as easy as that. And it's the million and one jobs that go on before anyone turns on a camera. It's the 50 or 60 crew that have got to be brought together before a show can be made or before anything can be committed. So understanding all those jobs and how people do those jobs is just as important as going, yeah, I'm an actor, great, and that's it. Because it's that word just that I really don't like. Uh, I'm just an actor, or I'm just an AD, or I'm just this, or I'm just that. Anyone who thinks that way has got the wrong mindset. It, it's more a case of, I am this, but I can be this. So from my perspective, it was, if, if I'm on a set and I'm watching um, the third AD, or I'm watching one of the runners, or I'm watching the PA, it's interesting to know what they're doing, when they're doing, how they're doing. Because at some point, someone might go, Jay, I, I need a first AD for a, a three-day shoot. Okay, great. Yeah, I know how to do that. Or vice versa, um, sitting in a casting room and watching a casting director work, understanding the process that they go through, not just a case of going in, script in hand, like, please, please just use me for everything. Yeah. It's understanding how casting directors work. Yeah. And <clears throat> the reality is, you know, once once you are that kind of person, right? And in the corporate world, by the way, for those who are not in the, in the movie or entertainment business, you know, think of this instead of an I employee as a T employee. I employee is somebody who has depth in one particular area. T employee is somebody that has depth in the area, but also has depth across, and they can go and they can do multiple jobs. So um, it's really- In England, we call that a jack of all trades. Right. Uh, but in this case, you are a master of one, but then you are, you know, you're able to do other things as well, which gives you flexibility. You know, in baseball, it's a utility player, right? So, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I know all about being a utility player. <laughs> right. but I think that's, that's the part because utility players uh, are needed and they're needed on more and more productions. And once you become a trusted member of that uh, tribe, if you will, you're going to get invited. And that's what's been happening with, uh, with you because of people knowing just how serious you are about this and how you're a good guy on set and you do your job and you're happy to help out and other things. You get uh, more opportunities because of it. And I think that's another lesson for everybody to know that 
it's not just about you know being a good guy being a professional but it's the you know taking opportunities like some of your uh, credits on the biggest productions uh, that you know we mentioned uh, are uncredited um I would love to take any and all of those because I would love to be a stormtrooper. I don't care if you're going to credit, you know, how many stormtroopers are there. Uh, just the experience uh, of it, I will gladly take. So, <laughs> but do you, I, I think, you know, um, you may have some that are looking at, uh, at your career and saying, well, he's done huge projects, but, you know, all of them are uncredited, 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 uncredited. What do you say to them uh, to explain why it doesn't really matter? For, from my perspective, it's always been a case of opportunities don't necessarily arise in traditional ways. Um, so a lot of the, the access and opportunities that happen in the UK especially is right place, right time, right person. And um, I, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to... Uh, some of the ADs that I've worked with, um, even during selection processes, where it was a case of uh, Fury is a perfect example. Actually, um, I ended up playing Private James, um, but in saying that, I was on Fury from quite literally day one, all the way through to rap. Um, I did everything on that. Um, I, I was involved with the AD department, um, helped out with stunt department. I was acting in it, um, doing action, firearms. You name it, I was probably doing it. And so, so were quite a few other guys that, um, that made this core unit. And from my perspective, that's the experience that mattered because it was seeing how everyone worked and how everyone worked together and what was the end product of it. Um, for me, I'm not one to go to the, the first or to the producer and say, look, can I have a credit, please? um those credits come when they come um and i'm i'm genuinely not uh, i'm genuinely not worried about it to be perfectly honest it's been one of those where everyone in themselves knows what they have and haven't done and from my perspective it, it molded me and shaped me in a in a way in terms of how my career has moved um being on those sets and seeing how those people work um i mean i was blown away by uh toby heffman on fury because i thought him as a first ad was absolutely incredible absolutely amazing um he's now an executive producer on star wars so you know it, it all sort of builds on itself you know um and it's it's been one of those where i i, I do look at those and i go okay great well I did that on this and I did that on this. And then I look at what I've got over the next two years and it's lead role in this, supporting in that, lead role in this. And it, the, ends just, uh, uh, the, the ends justify the means in that sense. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, and I agree with you. Uh, it's, people get lost <clears throat> in the, uh, well, I didn't get you know, supporting here. I didn't get the, you know, a lead there. That's not what matters. You know, why are you in this is the first question. And if you're in this because you love acting, then that's it. Stop, stop thinking about anything else. Opportunities will, will come if you're putting in the work and you're a good guy and you're professional. And it's just going to, it's going to happen. Um, but it, please uh, kind of uh, explain one other, <clears throat> other little difference between uh, what people may perceive as a background actor versus somebody who you know, has done uh, these roles, but they're viewed as uh, uncredited or it shows up as uncredited. 
So, like, like I said, it's it's very opportunistic mm-hmm. in England. Um, you get brought in because you have a certain skill set. Um, I'm massive advocate of having as many skills as feasibly possible. Um, you, you, there's no such thing as being overskilled. So, from, from my perspective, um, the only people who mention the word overskilled are the ones that don't have the skills in the first place. So, um, uh, a lot of the time, I've been brought in either because I have experience in martial arts or uh, sword fighting firearms well whatever it might be or i know someone on the production who's got me involved um what happens from there is people go right well this scene now demands this this and this and then suddenly you are elevated up a step and then up a step um so you you've gone from being oh just chucking in for an hour one day to you're spending a week on a film so a lot of the time with that it was a case of it was just opportunity at the time and then things grew um and uh, conversely um things can shrink so um you, you a lot of the time and it's a huge cliche but i do i do kind of love it is you do end up on the cutting room floor and when that happens that's life and um it, it like i say it's all about the experience and if you can call on that experience and take that forward with you that's far more important um i i don't place weight in the paper or in imdb or even spotlight or whatever it might be i don't i don't place that much weight in my own cv what i place weight in is my showreel my ability and then talking to people because it's it's not the ones and zeros or the writing on paper. It's the people connection. Mm-hmm. And if you can be a people person, that's what's going to move things forward. People don't invest in paper. People invest in people. Yeah. So that, that for me is the key element. And it's going into those castings. It's going into those meetings with producers, casting directors, um, line producers, and being personable. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter my my parents always made made sure that I understood this. It doesn't matter if you're the janitor or the CEO. Everyone gets treated the same. Same respect, yeah. same amount of time, because everyone's worth exactly the same amount. So, and the most important thing you can give anyone is your time. So that that for me is a case of well, this casting director is sat there and going to give me their time. That's incredibly important. Or if I go to a meeting in London, it's again, you know, this person is giving up an hour of their time. The most expensive thing they can give me is an hour of their time. So yeah, from that perspective, it's, it's more a case of, I don't worry about the black and white. I worry about the people. Yeah, that's, that's the right approach <clears throat> because when it all comes down to it, uh, when anybody has to choose who they're going to work with, they want to work with the people who they trust and who they like and who they want to be around. And that's, that's the most important part. And, you know, people are saying sometimes, you know, they see actors who, uh, and this is not a dig at you, this is just generalizing, but, you know, people may see somebody on screen in, in a production, they're like, well, that, that person is not really good, but I keep on seeing them in different productions. Well, that's why. First of all, they're good enough uh, to be there. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't. And second of all, it's because it's a person that is trusted. It's a person that is liked. It's a person that um, is is a professional, and that's uh, that's the key. So if there's one you know universal kind of truth within acting, because there is no linear approach to anything, but within acting is be a professional, 
be a good guy and be uh, uh, be somebody that people actually enjoy working with. Exactly. It's, it's far more important to be a good person than it is to be a famous person. Um, and you, you, you have to be in it in the first place in order to be involved. And a lot of the misgivings that people have about, oh, I've seen him in this, this, and this, and oh, it's nepotism, or it's this, or it's that. It's, it's more a case of, no, they've put themselves in a situation where people know who they are. Um, one of the biggest things that people keep saying to me, oh, it's who you know. And, was, and for me, that's, that's a misnomer. So about 10 years ago, it used to be what you know. It used to be just your skill set, put it down in front of you, that's it, that's enough. Then it was who you know. Take the skill set, put it in front of someone. Hmm. That doesn't work anymore because now you have gatekeepers. So now it's who knows you. Yeah. And that's the really important thing because it's who knows you on the other side of the door that's going to open the door a little bit so that you can put your stuff there. Hmm. So it's it's moved on and it, it'll move on again. And that's why Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, they're incredibly important in terms of just being a performer because people have to know who you are and what you're doing. Um, I hate self-promotion. I am genuinely the worst. Um, I haven't updated my Instagram in a year. Um, that's really bad. Um, like I, I have like material and I, uh, I've been on things and I've done stuff and I compulsively can't do it. It's like, I hate the whole self-promo thing, but it is a fundamental part of being in entertainment because it's not a case of your skill set. It's not a case of people looking at your skill set. It's people knowing who you are. And if they don't know who you are, they can't cast you or they can't employ you or they can't work with you. And that's, that's the fundamental of it. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I love talking and I certainly love talking about myself, but the promotion of promoting yourself, that's a different, uh, kind of a different beast because then you know my my kind of uh, my sensibilities uh, come into play of you know i i don't want to brag and it's uh, i don't want to you know kind of elevate myself or seem like i'm elevating myself so the little trick that i've used in order to uh, in order to help with that is i share things uh, from a personal perspective i share things that i find um, could help other people and could help inspire other people and I feel good about that. Or I share things that are funny, uh, funny to me, maybe they're gonna be funny to somebody else because they can lighten somebody's uh, day. And then on the professional side, <clears throat> I uh, kind of do a bit of uh, that as well. And then, you know, once I started the show in May uh, of this year, you know, May 20th was the first interview, <laughs> is it all became of, well, I think this is a great resource, all right? I'm not charging people to watch this, this is all free. And I get to speak to amazing people and I'm learning a lot about the industry. I want to share this information. So it became really just about, hey, I need to put this out there, not because I'm elevating myself, but I want people to listen. I want people to view it and to grow through uh, these conversations. So I, <clears throat> I found kind of a way to, uh, to trick myself into staying true. Uh, yeah. uh, but uh, make it so that I am still all over social media. So I don't know. Maybe you can do this. <laughs> some some sort. Well, I, of I get that. I get that. It's um, 
uh it's the art of the humble brag um is yeah. the way is the way to put it um and like what i mean the irony is that we're in england we're about to go into a second lockdown but um i used i used lockdown to at least give myself a bank of stuff that i can because I, I i use later to sort of schedule postings and stuff like that and uh, i i just haven't pressed the go button because it's that, that that's, that's the <laughs> that's the worst part of it is like uh right it's all done now i'm not going to share it you know <laughs> so that that's been that's been the one bit um so yeah you're, you're quite right it's a uh, for me i if i can do it and i'm just the average joe i i guarantee other people can do it um it's something that i'm putting together in 2021 is the anyone can do anything channel and it's purely proof of concept but the idea being is i'm going to put myself in situations where i have no training no background no no foundations and give myself one week to complete whatever it might be so um whether it be horse riding archery um evasion driving what whatever it might be for that week mm. and the proof that what the outcome from that will be is purely to inspire people yeah. to go and do what they want to do that's purely that's all it is uh, it's not no, no self-adulation for me at all because it's going to scare the hell out of me yeah. but it might inspire people to go and do what they actually want to do i love it i love the concept absolutely it's it's a great idea and um it actually, you know, you and I should probably talk offline as well, because uh, uh, one of my ideas that I started a while ago and I never finished because I had so many other things going on is uh, I find that we as people, you know, uh, especially right now, we uh, have many holes within our, you know, kind of uh, development. And uh, as men, there are many things that we should know that we don't. As, uh, you know, women, there are many things that we should know that we don't. Uh, we are kind of, uh, you know, we're just scratching the surface on things that we really need to know that we're not doing. So I wanted to create kind of a school that fills in all of these gaps. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, it was meant to be called School of Human Potential because I nice. wanted to create well-rounded individuals. Uh, and then have a class in this, 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 and this. Right? I think because 2020 has definitely yeah. highlighted that we have a distinct lack of being well-rounded. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, social media has highlighted for me in a massive way um, the dangers of open access and the dangers of having too many voices. Um, I mean, I love a conspiracy theory as much as the next person because I love a good laugh, yeah. but the dangers of that, and the dangers of lack of education which is what you're pointing at is the human potential of it because there's that old adage of this is how much you know this is how much you know you don't know and yeah. this is how much you don't know you don't know right. and that that's the key is there's so much in the world and so much to experience and so much to do and it's one is the fear of not doing and or vice versa the fear of doing and there's also that that whole everyone loves a comfort zone. Everyone loves the fact that you can just do the bare minimum. You can just get away with doing that and that's it. Uh, and you know this to be true. And uh, I found that as soon as I step outside the comfort zone and do something that freaks me out, 
is when I not only learn about myself and feel better about my ability to handle it after, but I just expand and grow uh, exponentially because exactly. you see just how incredible it is to do some things that you're fearful of and how rewarding it is. And it Im imbues you with uh, this incredible sense of being able to take things on and accomplish it and handle it and to view uh, life through a different prism because, you know, social media right now, right? There's so much going on. A lot of it is not true. Uh, and the ability to decipher that as opposed to be, you know, in a specific echo chamber and only look at it from one perspective, we need that ability now more than ever. Uh, yes. So it's, uh, I, that's, that's, um, yeah. we also need the ability to step away. And my, my biggest, my biggest problem at the moment that I have with access to technology and also um, smart technology on as a whole is we are developing a whole generation of addicts. And I don't mean addicts as in your traditional addicts. I don't mean people who abuse substances. I don't mean anything to do with that. Mm. I mean, quite literally addicts that are addicted to their phone, addicts that are addicted to Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, you name it. There's, there's an addiction going on. Mm. Um, there was a study done in the U S not too long ago. And cause obviously smartphones had to be around and it was three generations. So it was people over the age of 55, uh, people in the uh, 30 to 40 category and people in the 18 to 25s. And it was, what did they do with their phone while they were in the office? People in the over fifties had their phone either in their pocket, in their breast pocket or off mm -hmm. to one side. People of my generation had it next to their mouse. Yep. So it's still there. The next generation coming through had it in front of their keyboard looking at them. So they had a break between their work and what they were addicted to. And it's this fundamental need to have immediate gratification and that endorphin release. Because um, we, what we're starting to see now is there is a chain reaction and it's, it's this whole clickbait thing as well with YouTube. Um, you are trying to find something and when you find it, you get an endorphin release and that endorphin release fulfills the cycle. The problem is, is you're looking for something, you don't find it, it then goes back. So you don't get your endorphin kick. So immediately you go looking for something else and then something else and then something else. That's why you see people mindlessly scrolling through because they're waiting for that endorphin release to actually get their kick. Um, so I have a huge issue and I have a huge worry about what's coming next in terms of uh, dystopia is too strong a word, but you've got this really sort of weird disconnect between human interaction. I, I know the irony of us talking on phones and Skype and Zoom and stuff, but it is that problem. Yeah. Um, well, I, I don't think it's that ironic because again, we're, we're, we both understand the uh, the prism through which we're looking at it, and uh, we're both trying to change that paradigm. Uh, you know, my videos; these conversations are long conversations. This is not a you know a five minute or ten minute uh, spot. So I have um, uh, trouble with people staying through with these conversations because of that immediate gratification. And what I find more worrisome is that 
as the society grows up with this idea of immediate gratification, um, we miss the whole boat on all of the things that take time and take hard work and dedication because you don't get immediate gratification out of anything that's worthwhile. Anything you, you have to have a work ethic. You're going to start at something. You're going to suck at it. Most of the time you're going to suck at it and you need to have enough patience and you need to have enough drive and ability to stick with it until you get better and better and better. And then you start seeing some results and then you have to uh, continue climbing those levels. You know, we know that from sport. Um, they kind of get that from video games, but I, I don't know if there is enough of that process where you know you're going to suck for a while until you get better and better. Uh, so there are some things. To be, yeah. our, our generation of video games did that because we had a learning curve. Yeah. Um, certainly with the SNES and the Mega Drive, we, yeah. a lot of the games that were on those consoles in the N64, we had a learning curve that we went through mm. with it. And it was a steep learning curve, but you got gratification at the end yep. the inherent problem with video games now is one the industry is split in two one on is the mobile devices and the other is consoles right um with consoles it can be a a learning curve but the 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 difficulty gradient is a lot easier now right the other problem is you've got self-fulfilling or idle games that you get on mobile devices and the problem is there is no learning curve. There is, there is no, um, there is no sort of trial and error and working towards something, mm -hmm. uh, whether it be, um, stuff like, uh, the, the whole idol series where quite literally you just drag things and they touch, um, candy crush where there, yep. for the most part, there isn't a learning curve. Right. And that has taken something away because you're not, even on an enjoyment level, you're not working towards creating something. You're not working towards developing something. Mm -hmm. And that that's something that fundamentally we have lost because it's easier to give people gratification mm -hmm. than it is to give people a challenge. Right. And that's uh, what, you know, a lot of the people who are saying, you know, people get trophies for every, you know, every uh, now place now they are saying that, but I think what they're, what they're trying to say is that, you know, getting your uh, trophy of being number one or the second or third place, it takes time to get there. So if you're getting your trophies for everything else, you're missing the, uh, the point. You're missing the point of having to work hard and pushing and getting there to get that uh, trophy. Exactly. So that's what's behind all this. I think everyone deserves recognition regardless of um, whether, you, whether you're the elite or whether you're the amateur. Um, I mean, uh, I, I just watched the Le Mans uh, Grand uh, 24 hour race with, um, with my parents. Mm -hmm. And, um, it didn't matter if you were in the prototype Le Mans car that goes 255 miles an hour yeah. or whether you were in the Porsche 911 that was at the back of the grid. The mm -hmm. fact was getting to 24 hours, whether you were first in your class or last in your class. Mm -hmm. And that analogy for me sort of like went across and it was, yeah, there are people winning Oscars and Grammys and Emmys and all the rest of it, and that's awesome. But there are also people that are just posting their work online. And that immediately is, again, awesome, because what they've done is they've gone, here's my stuff, look at it. And that, that, that is the hardest part, is you know you're going to be judged, and you know that it's going to be 90% positive, but there is going to be 10%. 
or conversely, if you're Tommy Wiseau, it's going to be 90% negative and 10% positive. But it's, it's that whole thing of if you don't ever put yourself out there to do it in the first place, then one, you'll never know. And two, you can't be rewarded for it. You can't get anything for it. And it's better to be in the race. And I grew up with a lot of people that would say that second place is the first loser. And I, I can't agree with that I, because it took a lot just to come second, you know? Um, and it also takes a lot to come last. It take, I mean, just to be in that race in the first place. So, um, yeah, coming back to like the whole analogy of it is it's that whole ability to know that you've worked for something. And that for me is far more important than any sort of immediate gratification. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And that's, we'll see what happens, right? I have, I have a, you know, an 11 year old and a 16 year old and uh, kind of observing them and trying to teach them certain things. Um, you tend to see that if they're not good at something right away, they don't want to do it. And that drives me crazy. Because it's not enjoyable. Yeah, I, like how, that's not how life works, right? That's not how life works. You're not gonna get immediate gratification. And you know, when people talk about millennials and how you know, potentially difficult they are to work with in the workplace, which I'm not sure I agree with, <clears throat> but a part of that is that the, uh, the people expect you know, certain uh, gratification and they expect you know, wins and they expect uh, thanks and they expect you know, to be uh, quote unquote cuddled. Uh, because that's what they grew up with, and it's a different structure. And uh, you know, uh, once you get to the workplace, you're not going to get that. Um, you know, some things are are changing for the better, but otherwise, you know, uh, you have to adjust. And are they ready for that adjustment, uh, where they've you know spent the first 18 or 20 years of their lives uh, doing something that uh, you know doesn't build them up for it? So we'll find out. No, I, I... I was lucky in terms of the fact that mm. I I went to a all boys comprehensive school, so that was quite literal school of hard knocks in yeah. in that respect. Um, uh, it was still a trade school, so we still had guys that were learning carpentry, uh, mechanics, uh, electrics, all that sort of stuff. So, but on top of that, we had a sports program and scholarship program and all those sort of things. So. From from my perspective, you either worked hard or you didn't get anywhere. Um, and I never had an issue with being in the top set of everything. I, I didn't worry about that. Um, uh, it didn't come easy, but for me, it was the fear of dropping out of that that I didn't want to deal with. So I pushed myself on. Um, and... It wasn't ever handed to me, and it, it was one of those where, whether it be science, maths, English, um, education-wise, it was a case of I had to be at the top because that's where the learning happens. That's where things develop. So from my perspective, it was a case of if you put the hard graft in now, it gets a lot easier later on. Um, and I, I'll hold my hands up. I've probably forgotten a lot of that in terms of, just the stuff that I had to learn to get to the end and uh, getting a degree from Brunel, it was very much a case of that was my logical end. Um, I was never going to be a master, um, but I knew I could be a bachelor. 
so from that perspective it was a case of i can put enough graft in now and finish this off and do my education justice um and i haven't used it since ironically <laughs> i i have a, a degree in sports science and biomechanics and um i think i may have used it once to show an arm break properly <laughs> but um yeah it, it's it's one of those where i could draw a line under education and go look i know i did it and that was far more important and i don't think i even put the the letters at the end anymore but it, it was good to have yeah absolutely again it, it made you who you are and i think that the ability to uh, to have a self-drive and knowing that you're working towards something and it's going to take time is what made you successful you know now coming back to your acting career that's what made you successful and that's what continues to drive you forward and getting you you know all of these projects where you are lead and then expanding into your producing and uh, speaking endeavors um for those people you know who kind of want to know what it's like on set and uh um, you know, being around these incredible people that you had a chance to work with. You know, you've mentioned Fury. Uh, you know, Brad Pitt is is on Fury. Uh, John Berthal, uh, Berth, my goodness, I'm mispronouncing his name. Berthal, uh is is on Fury as well. These are guys that I have tremendous uh, amount of respect for as people and as artists. Um, what has your experience been like around them? So. Um... The, the best person to spend time with was John. He is awesome. Um, so we were doing proof concepts photography at the, in the back lot of Pinewood and they'd set it out like a blasted out German town and they had the fury tank and we were doing like um, how flame bars are going to work in front of camera, all these sort of things. And I'm just sat on this rubble decked out in full World War II American army gear. Yep. And then John just plonks down next to me and just sort of leans in. He goes, you're right, man. And then that was it. And we just started chatting and he's the most endearing guy. He, uh, wonderful family man, because considering the characters he plays and the like high progressive, um, real sort of mean characters, he is the most wonderful man. Um, we sat talking about how he goes walking in the mountains with his kids and his dogs. Um, he had his son um, do his makeup every day. Um, the oil tracks that are in his hair and all that sort of stuff. There's a fantastic picture on Instagram of his son sat on his lap drawing the oil on. Um, so John was an absolute delight. Um, absolutely wonderful. Scott Eastwood as well. Scott was absolutely a wonderful guy. Um, he'd never had Harry Bow before um like uh like Malwam Haribo it's some it's like we have we have sticks of candy over here and he'd never had them before so we were smuggling sweets onto set to give to Scott um which was quite cool and Brad's a consummate professional uh Brad Pitt is um he gets in he gets the job done and then back to the family back to doing what you know um there was no bad experiences for me on the Fury uh I learned from everyone from uh, watching David Ayer just get things done. And the, the, he's an absolute machine. Um, Toby Heffman, the first, was incredible. Um, he knew everyone's name, whether you were 
a background artist that was so far in the distance or whether you were coming on for a day as a, as, um, a supporting um, or if you were making the coffee. He knew who you were. Um, and the same goes for Fraser Fennel Ball, who's an award-winning AD. Eidetic memory. He knew absolutely everyone. He knew what they were doing, when they were doing it, how they were doing it. Um, and those guys made things so much better for everyone because they, they welcomed you. They made you part of the crew. They made you part, part and parcel of the whole project, which was incredible. Um, and that, that sort of stayed with me more than, you know, running around getting blown up and <laughs> firing a 50 cal machine gun and all these sort of things, because that was the human element. That was the turning up and, um, oh, uh, we need you in the AD department today. So you, you were immediately sort of like you were getting calmed up and then you were putting your stuff on and then you were part of the AD team that was marshalling 500 people on a, a battlefield, you know, with, with tanks and explosions and all these sort of things. And that, that experience in itself is far more important to me than anything around those. And being sat on a tank just... Uh, chatting with um, John and Shia and Michael all had so much time and were watching Shia just um, encompass a character. Absolutely incredible. Because a, a lot of people have a lot of misgivings and I, I saw firsthand the depth that he goes in to, to really portray a character. It, it's not a method that I agree with. Um, I... I, I, I I like to hear action. I like to hear cut. And then I go back to annoying people. Mm. And that, 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 that's how I, I operate. I, mean, I go and sit by the DOP and start asking him really annoying questions about camera angles, and, you know, uh, th things that they don't want to talk to him about. Um, mm. And watching him do it, it was incredible because he lived that character and he, he lived for that, that whole, um, the, the whole thing with the German village and all those sort of parts. And, for me, it was incredible to watch because it was a transformation, and uh, I, I do have to respect him for it. Yeah, it's uh, again not not my approach. Uh, um, I I never want to snap out of who I am uh, for the role. But I actually heard the uh, Shai is incredible, incredible actor. So from that perspective, nothing but uh, nothing but respect. Uh, John actually talked about that too. You know, on the Punisher, um, he he was saying that it's, you know, it's hard for him to kind of uh, snap in and snap out. So he said for the duration, you know, his family didn't enjoy him very much because, uh, you know, in his words, he said, I'm not good enough uh, to kind of uh, to snap in and out. So I have to, you know, be connected as much as I can through, uh, through the shoot. So and that, that speaks a lot to John's humility, though, that he can just go, look, I, I'm not good enough to switch on, switch off. And mm -hmm. I, I agree with that. Um, I've just done uh, two festival pieces over the last week or so um, for a new um, for road festival. And um, one of them was a, a one man piece talking to um, uh, an artificial intelligence character. So essentially it was me in a room talking to myself yep. and I'll be the first to admit that, emotionally speaking it will take me a while to get anywhere so i mean i had a fantastic director who was more than accommodating 
and let me get where I need to be and all that sort of stuff. And it was literally a case of, I need 30 seconds to a minute beforehand before we go into this, because if you want something emotionally charged, I've got to go find it from somewhere first. Yeah. And I follow Meisner technique. So um, from that perspective, I've, I've got to go and create an imaginary circumstance. So give me a minute, but that's better for me. Um, I actually had this, this whole thing about uh, Meisner was the fact that it's a fantastic toolbox. It's not a toolkit, but it's great for putting things in and pulling bits out and making it work. And uh, with uh, John's a perfect example of know, knowing where your limitations are and then adding something and then putting something in. And I, I never take my work home. Um, I never take my characters home. Um, uh, li literally, my characters start at action and end with cut and um barring research of course but uh yeah er everything else stays on camera yeah it's 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 a healthier way to live i i, I certainly <laughs> i think so um yeah I, I, I would definitely um uh, i couldn't do what daniel day lewis does um no. i mean i uh, i sort of had the joke a while back of it must have been insane to live with abraham lincoln for six months that that, that i uh, i couldn't do that um for me it's very much a case of you have to be able to escape it you yeah. to live it for that long it'll it'll eat away at you and that's that's not healthy right yeah um i it's i have respect and admiration for those that, that go to that depth uh and i understand why they win the awards because they yeah. really inhabit uh those uh, those people but that's not how i want to live my life <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I am um, at the start of uh, towards the end of last year. I had put on a lot of weight for a couple of more demanding roles, mm -hmm. and I was a hundred and oh, this is English money, but I was in, I was one hundred twenty, one hundred twenty-one kilos, mm -hmm. um, so about seventeen, eighteen stone, yeah. and I was not healthy. I was not, uh, and I felt it. I mean, I was big and for the most part relatively powerful and strong but I wasn't healthy yeah. and lockdown for me was a perfect time to go actually switch it on its head. Yeah. And if, if someone wants me to play a bigger character, put me in a suit, um, yeah. give me a prosthetic. Uh, it, I, it's much more important to me to be physically healthy. Um, I haven't, I have a, I don't talk about it very often, but I, I have an underlying medical condition that I've had for the last four years. Mm -hmm. Um, but essentially I have chronic pain disorder. So I'm just in pain all day, every day. But um, for me, it was a case of my health has to play a part in this if it doesn't. And that's the one thing that you can't let go of is your own physical being, because that's, that goes hand in hand with your psychological well-being. Um, and it's acting is so incredibly draining uh emotionally physically psychologically energetically and it's just it's a really really difficult thing to do people think that it's just running around and pretending to be somebody else they have no idea how difficult it actually is um they only see one take it's the 57 other takes <laughs> and the overnight shoots and uh, all the coverages and everything else it's it's ridiculous it, it's when you've you nailed a three minute monologue hitting every beat and then they go yeah we're gonna do one more for safety yeah. and, <laughs> and then, that, that, that's it yeah 
and there's like all of the lines somehow disappear. Uh, yeah. the, the short term memory that we have as actors is amazing. Uh, but, you know, let's hopefully they don't have to reshoot anything because I'm not going to remember the lines by that time. I'm going <laughs> to relearn them again <laughs> because it's, it's, it goes in, I get it. It get very quickly, which which thankfully is is uh, something that I've you know over the time it kind of uh, got to a point where now I can uh, learn lines really quickly. But you know next week I'm not going to remember them. That's that's not uh, that's not how the brain operates anymore. Exactly. Um, uh, Gary Oldman, you know one one of your favorites. Uh, I know uh, you know when he was playing Churchill. Uh, he specifically said, no, no, I'm, I'm not going to gain the weight. I need a suit because it's exactly. really unhealthy and I can't do that. So, Especially for characters like that, because my, I, I follow a lot of uh, stuff that Christian Bale does and mm-hmm. the weight that he put on for Cheney. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, and Jared Leto as well. Um, I, the, the guys are in, both of them are incredible actors. And obviously Gary Oldman is one of my key inspirations for everything that I do. Um, but you don't have to change yourself physically to embody a character. I, I don't. I don't agree that you need to physically change yourself in order to facilitate that character's realism. Um, Jared Leto really unhealthily put on a lot of weight for a role and then lost it all for Joker. And conversely, um, Christian Bale did the same between Machinist and Batman, and obviously for Vice. And for me, I think Gary Oldman had the right approach. Put me in a suit. Prosthetics are good enough now. I, I and I agree with that. I, I, if 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 it comes to that point, and I, I have had this discussion with a few people, is yeah, put me in a fat suit, and I will deal with being in the fat suit. I have no issue with that at all. Yeah, I agree. And you know, Chris certainly uh, certainly did well with Thor, and uh, it, it worked out uh, you know sufficiently. I didn't have any issues with it. Um, I think when you look like Chris Hemsworth, um, I think your your abs and your arms are insured for a certain amount. <laughs> and, and they should be, absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. So um, uh, going, uh, going to a few more of your projects, because I can't not mention them since I enjoyed them so, so much. Uh, you know, in 2014, you went, uh, you went from Fury onto Kingsman, uh, which I, I was blown away. I really enjoyed the movie. Uh, tremendously. I, I don't know how many times I've seen it, uh, you know, since then. And, you know, you get a chance to be, uh, to be in a scene that's iconic. Yep. I love, I love that, uh, that whole scene. And you get a chance to be on set with, uh, with Sam uh, and with, uh, with Mark uh, and with, uh, with uh, Taryn. I, that's, that must have been a really, a really interesting kind of. Taryn's awesome. He's, um, he's proper sort of the earth. Uh, would be the best way to put it and uh, it was my my first experience meeting him and he's such a lovely guy uh, th- th- this again was one of those where I got a phone call saying can we trust you with a gun I was like yes <laughs> um, I have a lot of uh, squaddy and bootneck friends and um, they, they do a lot of stuff and it, it was one of those where right we're gonna be very close to him there's gonna be a lot of uh, firearms and explosions and all this sort of stuff um we need people we can trust and that was how that came about um and the the, the film as a whole it, it, we didn't know what we were shooting when we were shooting it in terms of right now everyone's heads are getting blown off and it was like uh what 
and then they sort of like so from that perspective it, it was one of those where you don't have any idea of the end product but it was like go all out anyway and fi find that sort of middle ground with it um but awesome experience and again really good people you know yeah and uh yeah if, if we thought uh, your 2014 was uh, was iconic uh next year was uh, was even better my goodness 2015 uh, you did uh, mission impossible and star wars <laughs> um, um i mean i i lucked out massively um uh, i'm indebted to the ad department on fury um because I, I got on really well with them and they're absolutely wonderful people they're consummate professionals but they're also good human beings which is again and i got a phone call <laughs> and it was a it was a uae number and i was like do i or do i not answer this because nine times out of ten you don't answer it right. but i answered it and uh ad phoned me and was like we're shooting in abu dhabi um we're, uh, we're, we're actually in Skywalker Valley at the moment. I'm calling you from Skywalker Valley, um, which is the bit where Ray slides down. Um, and do you want to come out and be one of the first new stormtroopers on Star Wars? And <laughs> you know, never, been more, never been more grateful to answer a phone call. And <laughs> it, it was one of those where it was like, I spoke with my agent. I was like, I, I, I've got to go. I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's Star Wars. Yeah. And that, that for me, that experience, again, um, being in, I, I try and speak every language to a phonetic standard if I can. And so I was like, can, can, what do they speak in Abu Dhabi? I was like, can I speak Arabic? And then it was like, right, so I'm in the UAE and it's an amazing culture. I, I've never felt more safe in a place. Uh, me and, um, uh, guy Joe Watts, really fantastic guy. We we were out there together, and walking around Abu Dhabi, taking in the culture and taking in all the things that were in and around it, and then it ramps up again because you turn up and things get real. And I I just come off um, Fury and Mission Impossible, and I was quite big, and I'm not a model in any way, shape, or form. And um, I walk into the costume department and i won't use the expletive he used but um the uh, the, the armor went oh and i walked in and there was all these six foot two six foot four svelte looking model guys and i knew there and then i'm not one of you guys <laughs> um and I, I wore every costume they had i put on the flame trooper uh, the squad commander um every every different version of the stormtrooper armor they had and in the end they made me a custom armor because they were like we can't fit you into anything because you'll break the flame trooper armor if you breathe and <laughs> so in the end the heavy gunner stormtrooper came about because they had this world war ii german officer webbing and they had what they were calling the BFG. And the BFG was the squad automatic laser that the heavy gunner uses. So in the end, what they did is they used the webbing to tie me in to the armor so that when I was running around and doing all this sort of stuff in the middle of the desert, I didn't pop out. 
Um, so he tied me in, got me tight, and then went, right, don't breathe. Now go out in 45 degree heat and run around for a bit. <laughs> and um, it, it was incredible. And I loved every second of it. Um, the armor was just big enough that you could put ice packs down your back yeah. to cool you just enough. Um, you couldn't feed or water yourself once you were in the armor. So you suddenly got very friendly with the other stormtroopers. <laughs> you were watering each other and feeding each other. Um, everyone was so kind and so lovely about the, the whole thing. And everyone came together because it was, it, it wasn't your parents Star Wars and it wasn't the prequels. It was something new. And Again, because I'd worked with that AD department before, um, I ended up on my down days being back on set helping the ADs. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we had this bit where, um, you'll remember, uh, the TIE fighters fly over dropping uh, all the bombs behind Ray and behind Daisy and John. Yeah. <laughs> and just before that takes about to happen, we've got the cameras coming through and in the distance, and this is a that set was practical that was a that was a huge set must have been best part of like good thousand meters square mm. and um on in the far corner this heavy loader is coming around from one of the valley corners there's this huge yellow truck and it was one of those where like if these go off and that's in the background this is like a wasted shot so i'm sprinting across the middle of this film set waving my hands in the end i jump up on it it's like reverse reverse get away move it back and it was those moments where it was like saving the shot and that sort of stuff and it was incredible um i got to play some scavenger characters as well um i felt so bad for the costume department because i'm not small and all their costumes were designed for guys that were much uh, much smaller and you know uh, more athletic looking than me and um i was doing this somersault over a sand dune as um parts of tie fighter get dropped down and we're scavenging for it every take without fail i split my trousers in half oh, and <laughs> every take without fail i got kimballed back into it every take and i just had to stand there and apologize perpetually <laughs> i'm really sorry i've done it again i'm so sorry but it looked good right and then <laughs> so um yeah i mean that whole experience from start to finish was incredible you couldn't pay me enough money to get back in that costume <laughs> absolutely not um it was awesome at the time i don't think i'd do it again in terms of just there's no comfort involved with that at all um but wouldn't change it for the world it was incredible yeah um but yeah we, we can we can talk about all all sorts of other experiences that you had but you know if uh for actors who haven't been on these large sets uh who haven't worked on these you know multi-million dollar productions that you've been a part of what would be kind of your top three things that you would say to the actors of you know when you get on that set you need to do a b and c the first thing is do your job first and foremost and if that's the only thing you do then do that um that because that is the one thing that everyone wants is just everyone to do their bit no one slacks off everyone does their job the second thing is to watch and learn everyone all the time 
it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if it's craft services. And don't get me wrong, I've spent a lot of time at craft services. But is whether it be the people there or the AD or the director, whoever it is, watch them and appreciate and learn. And that, that, those, that, that would be most important. And the last thing is when you're on a set, be willing to do everything. Whether it's picking up mats for the stunt coordinator, whether it's making coffee for the guys that you're with, making sure everyone's fed, watered, um, or staying behind and de-rigging. It doesn't matter. But being more than just one job. So do your job watch everyone else and then help out where you can would be the three things that I would say would be most important. And that obviously goes without saying, be nice, be kind, don't be a jerk. You know, th those ones tend to go, you know, as a take as given. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's great advice. Thank you. Uh, let's talk about some of the other things that you've, uh, that you've been doing. Uh, you know, you've ventured out into, uh, into producing and then uh, you get to live out another one of your dreams. You get to, uh, you know, uh, not only, you know, do something with Eddie Hall and Eddie's awesome, uh, but you got to meet uh, Arnie and uh, you get to do, um, you know, uh, it's not out yet, right? Or uh, it's it's in uh, post -press? No, no, no. COVID made sure it's not out yet. <laughs> yeah. well, it'll be out. Uh, it'll be out soon. It's called The Beast. Uh, it's, a, it's a great uh, kind of a documentary. But uh, what was that like? Just meeting? Uh, so I'm, I'm massively indebted to my business partner, Winston Ellis. Um, I met Winston just over two years ago now. And... I, I came in with like sort of bright eye, bushy tail. I've got this many projects. And he was like, yeah, calm down. <laughs> let's, let's take it slow. Um, and it, it was one of those where like, I, I was super energetic about absolutely everything that I was doing. And I had a project here and a project here and a project here. He sat down with me and we tailored a plan. And um, I mean, Winston has done, Batman, Pirates of the Caribbean. He, he's been around and he's been doing this for 30 odd years. And coming from a sports background and being in entertainment, The Beast was a perfect opportunity to step. Because so I'd already produced um, uh, with Camelot Films, I'd done Winter Ridge. Mm -hmm. And that as fiction was a challenge. It was, it was, it was a midsummer murders sort of thing. And it, it had its own challenges to it, but to go into documentary, um, was completely new. Uh, so me and Winston, we were brought onto this project and at the, at the time it was a lot smaller. It was, and Eddie is incredible. Eddie's story is incredible and he's such a wonderful guy. Um, uh, his story as a whole is something that, is genuinely inspiring because he is like i say a sort of the earth but genuine kind and a lovely guy so um to have winston as a mentor taking me through that and then to be working with someone like eddie who he's worked so hard to be where he is and to have that title of world's strongest man is an incredible incredible achievement so the beast um it drew a lot of parallels for me um I'm, I make no secret of the fact that I'm a huge Jason Statham fan. Um, and it's only been sort of recently that people go, well, what, what was Statham doing before? And he was a diver. Um, and, and there's pictures of him in Canada doing Olympic diving. So 
this whole thing of what happens when you're a sports star and you are at the peak and there's nothing left for you to accomplish what happens next and I'm, I'm I was brought into this first meeting and I was doing my standard thing of keeping very quiet smiling listening and just taking it in and it, it, it rang true with me, this whole thing where I've seen Jason Statham do this. I've seen Vinnie Jones do this, Terry Crews, uh, Dolph Lundgren, and the most iconic and the person that sort of set the template for this is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Because Arnold Schwarzenegger blazed the trail for people like Carl Weathers to go from being a linebacker to being an action hero. And so for, for me, it was like, so we're, we're looking at this cookie cutter template but so few people do it and why and it's this whole thing of yeah you are the elite but how do you transfer across how do you do that and that's what the beast is about is that is that study of the trials and tribulations that you go through can you then go through them again once you've been at the top is it a case of you go from the top and you go to the top or is it a case you go to the top and you go to the bottom um Perfect examples right now are Dwayne Johnson, John Cena, um, uh, Mr. Kennedy, who they, they already have iconic careers. So, I mean, with Dwayne Johnson, there's not a person in the world who doesn't know who Dwayne Johnson is. Dwayne Johnson is our generation's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. And John Cena has done very much the same thing. So for me, it was seeing what are the parallels and how do we show those parallels and working with Chris Fretwell, who's the writer director, he, um, his vision for it is incredible uh, in terms of showing how much it is about the mental aptitude and your own drive and willpower. And it's not just about ability it, because inherently you don't know if you've got the ability or not because you haven't done it. So it's not as easy as that, um, but it's it's knowing that someone has walked that line and can you walk that line as well? Or can you walk a parallel line or a similar line? So the beast is all about that. And it's it's got so much to do with men's mental health. It's got to do with the, the, the ability to deal with being elite, which is something that I, I think in modern, in, in modern phraseology, we don't appreciate enough of what it takes to be elite. We have a certain expectation. We have, a, oh, you are a influencer. You are a performer. You are X, Y, Z. We don't actually appreciate the fact that it probably took you 10,000 hours to get there. And that, that in itself is quite incredible. So you've already put 10,000 hours in. Are you now going to put another 10,000 in? Is that, is, is that the correlation? So the beast is a study in that. And it's also a study in men's mental health. It's also a study in just how the entertainment industry can be. And we, we've got some incredible stuff where we have put Eddie um, quite literally in Arnold's footsteps, where we have recreated the bar scene from Terminator 2 in a bar in Stoke with Eddie as the T-800. Um, it's going to be absolutely incredible. And it, again, is one of those where it's like, right, this is iconic. This is Arnold's breakout good guy role. Like no one saw him as a good guy at this point. This is what he did. So for me, the Beast 
has so many more levels to it than just simply um, a documentary about a person. It, it, it covers a lot more than that. Agreed. Absolutely. Um, all right. I know that I have about 20 more questions for you, but we should probably wrap up those people who want instant gratification. Um, so let's, uh, let's wrap it up with this. Um, if, uh, if you had a chance to go and talk to yourself, uh, you know, 10 years ago when you were just starting out acting and you had a chance to give one piece of advice, what would that advice be? It's going to be hard to do it anyway. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, I, I, because I wouldn't change this, I wouldn't, I don't have a regret for what I've done. Um, it would be reassurance would be the avenue I would take with that. And it, it would purely be to say to myself, it, it is going to be hard graft. And I, I pretty much knew that going into it anyway, but to reassure myself, yeah, it's going to be a hard go, but we're not going to count 2020. No one's counting 2020, but looking at 2021, yeah, that's, you know, that, that's where you got to work towards. So yeah, that's what it would be. It's going to be hard to do it anyway. I love it. It's going to be hard to do it anyway. That's, that's perfect. That's perfect. Uh, Jamie, listen, it's, uh, it's, it's really a pleasure. Uh, I would love for you to come back again so we can continue the discussion. Guaranteed 100%. I know that I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and I've gotten a lot out of it. I'm hoping that you as the user, users, excuse me, you as yours, uh, are, or users of this information, there you go, um, are, are getting something out of it as well. Uh, thank you, Jamie. Uh, thank you, everybody, for uh, for tuning in. We really, really appreciate it. We know you love acting as much as we do, and that's why we do this for you. Thank you. Thank you very much.